morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I am Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is C.J. Reynolds. He is a high school English teacher at an all-boys charter school in West Philadelphia. He is the author of Teach a Class Off, The Real Rap Guide to Teaching, available on Amazon. In his book, Reynolds writes about classroom culture, his approach to classroom management, the importance of building relationships with students, and the value of real-world learning. Reynolds speaks with passion and attention in this interview and in his book. In short, he gives a damn. He was gracious with his time, and he had a generosity of spirit. I can't express my gratitude enough. Here, you will get a candid look at what 15 years of being a quality educator looks like. This is a portrait of C.J. Reynolds. Okay, so Mr. C.J. Reynolds, you are the author of Teach Your Class Off, The Real Rap Guide to Teaching. What year were you born and how long have you been teaching? Uh, I was born in 1976 and I've been teaching, this is my 15th year in the classroom. Does it feel like a blink of an eye or does it feel like a long marathon? So, you know, I think when I started teaching, I thought, you know, by 15, Teen years in or 10 years in or whatever, like I'd have it on lock. Uh, <laughs> so I think that that is kind of the eye-opening thing is like you realize that there's still time to go. But I also thought by like, you know, I'm 43 now. I thought by 43, uh, first of all, you, I thought you were basically dead. And I also <laughs> thought uh, that I would be like I'd have life figured out also. <laughs> and I, so I think um, it's been it's felt like that blink of an eye. So writing the book has actually been a really good way to like look back and think like, wow, oh, man, I've done a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of things that have happened <laughs> in that time. Uh, what year did you start teaching? Um, oh gosh, this is why I teach English, not math. I want, I want to say 2005, 2006, something, something along those lines. Yeah. And that doesn't sound like that long ago. I, I'm 30 and that doesn't sound that long ago. That sounds like what, 10 years, seven years ago to me, but that's yeah. 15 years ago. Um, and that's scary. I mean, was the world a different place back then when you first started teaching? Have you seen the world evolve since that time? So I think the interesting thing that that sort of happened is um, the, like social media has become such an incredible tool for teachers that are daring enough to use it. And that has been an amazing thing. One of my favorite things that's happened over the last 15 years. But to be honest, like I've taught in two um schools that were like, I mean, where there's just no money, like they're both like what are referred to as title one schools, but they, you know, what that means to me often is that, uh, you are dealing with, you're, you're making something from nothing all the time. So I've just mm. been used to that. I've been used to not having proper technology <laughs> or like resources for my classroom. So you're just like figuring out ways to make it happen. But that's, you know, something that I've always been drawing on. So, you know, the schools I'm, I'm in haven't gotten too caught up in the times of like scripted lesson plans and like online learning. So this new shift has been really drastic for us because it's not something we were used to anyway. Um, you know, and the other thing I think is, is this sort of online community of teachers, whether that's YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever else they are, Twitch, that has been 
growing and growing and growing. That's like this free online resource for educators. And, and that to me is really exciting because it's ta- it's removing all the gatekeepers from the information. You don't have to have a book. You don't have to have like a well, you know, like, like blogs or even this thing that like you can just go and get free ideas instead of having to pay for them. And I love that idea. Yeah. Have, I mean, I, I would guess that you've lost you count of the amount of things you picked up just because of this online community. I mean, I, I'm sure you've had the experience where you just read a, a sentence from somebody and you're like, wow, that, that could work. And you know, whether it's like a lesson plan idea, a classroom management idea, um, is, is that correct? I mean, can, have you lost count of all the things you've learned just from sure. this online community? For sure. I, especially because, you know, when I started teaching, I felt like there were there weren't any books that really spoke to the type of teacher I wanted to be. And so to be able to find people that I like, like I often think of them as like, these are people that are like the same type of crazy as I am and then (laughs) be able to communicate with them no matter where they are in the world, you know, and then that it really breaks down barriers where, you know, there's someone, this, there's a guy in education, um, this guy, Ron Clark, who started the Ron Clark Academy outside of Atlanta. And he's Mm. really, famous. I mean, he's friends with like Oprah and, and all these kind of like superstars, right? So I'm on a live feed the other day that I do every day on my Instagram channel and or my Instagram platform. And Ron Clark just pops in. And like, I don't know how he found me. I don't know why he knows about me. Next thing I know, he's DMing me and asking me like, wow, at some point. So it's just like, but if I sent an email to him or wrote a letter, it would have had to go through all these different, you know, people probably to get to him. But you know, if you're on the internet, like that, it, that's what it has done is it has removed gatekeepers where you are now, you now have access to people you wouldn't have before. And especially people, like I said, that are the same kind of crazy as you are. So you feel like you're getting down with people that you want to get down with. Yeah, that, that is so crazy. Uh, in your book, you, you mentioned a couple of things like that, uh, where, you know, you got into contact with somebody through Instagram, people you thought you would never get in touch, people that are just untouchable, like, you know, the person you just said, um, one thing I was impressed by, um, and I'm, I'm not sure how to even pronounce his name, but is it Raph Esquith? Oh, Rafe Esquith. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to read his book in a a class I was taking a couple of years, I don't know, a few years ago by now. And you actually had him on your, uh, Sunday, I I forget what it's called. It's like your Sunday night show, right? Yeah. Yep. That is so awesome. It, it was incredible because that is a, that's another guy that there's no way I should have access to someone that's <laughs> like, it's just not that easy to get in touch with people, right? It's not saying that yeah. they're more important or they're like cooler or anything, but it's just impossible to get access. And so I don't even remember how, I think I DM'd him, which I can't even imagine he's even on Instagram, but <laughs> I like shot him a DM and I was like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. It's for teachers. It's completely free. Uh, would you be willing to like at, lend your voice? And he just, he said yes. And I was like, what? Like what? Cause I, you know, I sit there at night and I just DM like people that I like all the time. Now they could be the singer from one of my favorite punk bands or my favorite hip hop artist or someone in education or business. And sometimes you hit and sometimes you don't, most of the time you don't. But when every once in a while, someone that you're like, damn, like, all right, like that's kind of cool that this <laughs> happened, you know, and then I got you on. So yeah, it was really, really wonderful. 
Yeah, it, it, I was I was floored by it because I really liked I've only read one of his books like uh, Teach Like Your Hair's on Fire. And, yep. and I loved it. And um, I think I'd actually commented on one of your photos, I don't know, a couple weeks ago saying that you had announced your book or you had mentioned your book. And um, and I was like, wow, this actually kind of reminds me of that book. And I read your book. And it, I mean, it's similar in some ways, obviously a lot different. You um, hit a lot of different topics, uh, but your book is really good, you know, because I don't, I didn't know that much about you before. You know, I won't pretend to have been following you for years or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I had no expectations in reading your book, but I have to say after reading it, uh, it was really good. I mean, it's on par, frankly, to uh, teach like your hair's on fire. Um, So so I'm impressed by it. I, I thought it was nicely done. That's that's a huge compliment, man. I appreciate it, especially when I had zero interest in my life in writing a book. And then when I was approached with the opportunity, I was like, sure, like, I'll do this. But like, I never, I had never done it before. It's not like <laughs> I've been writing. So um, so that means a lot. I mean, I did put a lot of time and effort and work into it. I don't mean to minim, minimize anyone that, that writes constantly and that craft that that is. But um, it was it was definitely difficult. But, uh, you know, it, again, like to to. Be compared with Ray Festwith is just about as, as high a compliment as you can give. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean it too. Uh, like I, I had no expectations in reading the book. So I was um, really, really happy to find that it was I, I'm like yesterday I was finishing it. I'm sitting in the patio, like smiling, laughing. I, I was <laughs> I would have I would have to pause like I'd be reading, reading a chapter and I would have to pause. And all of a sudden I would be in a daze for three minutes thinking about, you know, my eighth grade teacher and things that I learned. So it was actually a really, it was an exercise in reflection too. So your, your book is good in that way too. Not that I'm Love just reading about you and your class, but that it's making me think about my own experience too. That's awesome, man. So let, let me, uh, I'm curious to pick your brain on, on a few things. Um, I assume you student taught, right? I did. Was that? What you know, some people say the first year of teaching is the hardest, um, but I've also heard people say that they thought student teaching was harder than their first year of teaching. How how do you weigh in on that? Uh, so I, I think the hardest thing about student teaching is you're making no money. So it was like <laughs> it was like living off credit cards and my wife's yeah. tips at work. So it was uh, that was tricky. You know, I think I had a really great. Uh, teacher that I was paired up with. And so I think because of him, it just made my experience. Yes, it was hard, but it was so worth it that I just feel bad for folks that don't have, you know, that same kind of perfect pairing where this guy who I'd done like what they call your practicum, which is essentially you go into a classroom and you observe for like a couple of weeks or months. And, uh, you know, he was I don't know what I did that impressed him. I I was sitting in the back (laughs) of his class, like sitting up straight, I guess. But he contacted my college and asked if I would, if they could pair him, if the two of us together to do student teaching. And it was like from the jump, like no one even knows who their teacher is going to be until like late in the summer. I knew in the spring, then we were meeting up for dinner meetings and stuff and like preparing for it. And he just, he like pulled out all the stops and just made my opportunity <laughs> there like the greatest. So, you know, it, yeah, it's hard, but first year teaching you're alone. Like there's, there's mm. no, I had no help. Like I was like, they put me in the room, closed the door and then I didn't see anybody <laughs> for the next 10 months. So I think that was harder for me, but just because, it, because I felt like 
I didn't have someone to critique me, to talk to, to, to work things out. Uh, so that was, that was the difficult part in that. That's a huge blessing. Like, uh, because I, I'm right now working on a credential and it's, it's weird because, um, you know, with the whole COVID-19 thing, I, the, the semester was basically cut short and they wouldn't allow us to do online learning with the students. So in a way they're granting us like a preliminary, preliminary credential. Um, so I still have a couple, um, of uh, requirements to do. And I say that just to, just to mention that I, I know what student teaching is like. And my first semester a few years ago was terrible. I had, and I, I won't, you know, I won't, uh, it won't be sporting to me to talk too much trash about my uh, mentor teacher at that time, but my God, it, it, it was a terrible pairing. I'll just say that her, her classroom management style was yelling. I mean, that that's so yeah. being a, a, a student teacher, not knowing what I'm doing at all. And that being the model, it, it, I, and I failed that semester. It was so difficult. So um, I, so it's interesting to me that you mentioned how important it is that you had that, that mentor teacher and not only a good mentor teacher, but a great one, one that, yeah. uh, you know, supported you and, and wanted you. I mean, my, my goodness, uh, I, I was uh, I was jaded and I quit the program for a couple of years. Um, it, it was really tough. And, and I'm, I'm back. I, I'm happy to say that I'm back and working on it again. But um, it just goes to show how how important the mentor teacher is. Yeah, it, it, it to the level that it often makes me wonder why folks do it if they're not going to be all in. So I have students that come to my class every year that just sit in for a day, they sit in for a month or or whatever. And I always want to make it the greatest experience for them that mm. I possibly can. Like to the, to the point where like, I will rearrange lessons so that they can be incorporated into what we're doing or we're doing something exciting on the day that they're there. So I'm sure that we're not like taking a quiz <laughs> or, or doing something that is like not so interesting to watch or for them to learn from. And so it, it is bizarre that folks would like sign up for that. And then it's like, <laughs> like, it's like, you, you don't really want to be on this date, right? Like, it's, it's like, we just, yeah. you know, we're going out and you're kind of like not really here or excited about what we're doing. And yeah, so it's just, it's, but it's a good insight perhaps like for you, like to go in and be like, all right, this is how this kind of teacher I don't want to be. And I think that there's a lot of value in that as well. Yeah, it, it was frightening. I mean, I would, be in the front and not to mention the class was difficult too. You know, there was like 10 squirrely, it was first grade. There was 10 yeah. squirrely kids in there, um, low academically. And it was frightening. I mean, she would sit in the back of the room with a scowl on her face as I'm trying to like, you know, learn how to teach mind you without any guidance. Um, it, you know, it, frankly, it was traumatizing. I, and I'm not even exaggerating when I say the word trauma, um, it, yeah. for a couple of years, it, it really traumatized me. Um, but yeah, any, anyways, enough of the uh, gloom. I, I, I like to think I'd, I'd like to think I moved on. I, I this recent semester, I had a great supportive uh, teacher, so so I, I'm gladly in the right direction. Um, in terms of your your I, idea of what teaching was, you know, before you had your first classroom, maybe even before you student taught, were you like a lot of us who romanticized what the job was? You wanted to go in there, guns blazing, kick the door down, save every kid. You know, how did you look at teaching before oh, your first 100%. day? 
I read all the same books. I watched all the same movies. Um, I, you know, but I think that quickly changed, um, like moments after I got in the classroom, but I realized no one was waiting for me. You, you know what I mean? Like there's, there was no one waiting for me sitting there hoping that I would show up or that they, a good teacher would come up. Like it was, that just wasn't there. And so I had to pivot and figure out like what was my use and what kind of teacher, what could I draw on that? <laughs> what were skills I had already that I could pull mm. into the classroom? And I think I'm still guns blazing all the time, but it's from a different angle these days than it was back then. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I get the, uh, I think of an analogy. I think of like, you know, anybody who watches a UFC fight, for instance, says, oh, yeah, I can go in there and, you know, start, you know, I'll just swing really fast, really hard. And, you know, they'll be knocked out before I know it. And then you get in the ring and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is a, a harder game than I thought. I yep. Was it sort of like that where, you know, you show up on your first day and all of a sudden you're getting punched? Not, not you know, literally, yeah. of course. Did you have that experience where it, it was suddenly very real that first day? Yeah. So I remember like, and I, I may have talked about this in the book, or I remember like that first day where I'm in my classroom, I'd spent like a week or two, like getting my room ready and like designing it and setting everything up and, and just being excited about being there. And then that first day, I remember that bell ringing and hearing the kids come <laughs> down the hallway. Dude, I was terrified. It was like, it was instantly like, what did I get myself into? And then that was it. So like, you know, I was surprised, I'll say, when students came in, how responsive they were, because I thought of myself at the time as like being so young, that mm. why would anyone possibly listen to me? But kids have just sort of been conditioned that when they come in, they sit down and they listen to the teacher and you have like a little bit of wow. time in the beginning of the year, a couple <laughs> days where you can kind of, you know, no one, kids aren't talking as much, they're not acting out as much. But if you don't use that time wisely, oh, goodness. then it turns, it can turn into madness. But, you know, what I've also learned <laughs> is that it depends on, it's all dependent on me. That if I'm in my best place that I can be, like mentally, physically, spiritually, like I can get a lot more done when I go to school because the, the mm. things that happen don't knock me down. Like if some kid yells at me or curses me out or, or throws something across the room, it's like when I'm in a good space, bro, what do you got? Like you got nothing. I, I just feel like I'm at the top of my game. And that's when, you know, when you if we're talking UFC, that's when you start walking in the ring looking like Conor McGregor with that swagger. Right. <laughs> and then and not being scared. But you have to lean into who you are as an individual and not like look at, you know, whatever book you read or whatever Harry Wong said to do on the first day of school or like that stuff works for Harry Wong and it might work for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but it didn't work for me. None of that stuff worked for me. It was, I had to go a complete different angle than the yelling, screaming, regular beginning of the school year thing. And once I figured out that I could do that and I could win by doing it a different mm -hmm. way, then it was game on. Then it was like, what else you got? Like I, I can handle anything now is what it felt, really felt like. Did you know early on, or I guess I should say how early on did you know how important relationship building is to the classroom management and, you know, the productivity and all those things? How, how early did you know that building relationships is important? So I think, I think early on, and that part of that, it comes from two places. One, growing up as part of a community that is um, 
is based in, in, in community and having difficult conversations. So like the church community that I grew up in really focused on, uh, being able to have these difficult conversations, no matter what, like you couldn't back down from something. Uh, and mm-hmm. so if someone hurt your feelings, if someone said something you felt like it was disrespectful or wrong, you were, you know, we, we, t- we were like in agreement that we would have these conversations. And so that built really deep relationships because I think that shared experience and things like shared trauma or shared joy, mm-hmm. those really build relationships. And so that was one thing. The other piece was, you know, ever since I was a kid, like young people have sort of been drawn to me in this bizarre <laughs> way, right? Like in a way that like creeped me out when I was younger, where like I'd be 17 and I'm in the food store with my mom and some little kid just holds this dinosaur up and tells me that its name is Harry and like he likes to eat lettuce. And I'm like, dude, what? my mom's like looking at me like, I'm like, dude, I don't even know who that kid is. Like he just started talking to me out of nowhere. And that has happened so often in my life. Like, dude, I, I'm 43 and I've been sitting at the kids' table at Thanksgiving my whole life because it's always happens. It's like, CJ, are you going to sit with us? And when I realized that that was like, I don't even know that it's a skill that I developed necessarily, but it's something that I had, that there was this connection piece with young people and I could use it to my advantage, especially in school, that made it easier to make relationships because it, mm. it's easy for me to talk to young people. I do not get scared off by them. I don't get put off by their weirdness or their crazy <laughs> ideas or, you know, like weird questions that I get constantly. I kind of lean into that. And then it's what, what I saw was, you know, especially being a middle-aged white man teaching in a school that was filled with black and brown children that have like a background that I often cannot identify with. I quickly learned that it was my attention and not my Mm. advice that was going to help me help students the best that I could. And so that that was a huge piece for me. And how do you uh, distinguish between advice and attention? So yeah, just, I guess simply that, how do you distinguish between those two and why is the attention better or more important than the actual advice? So I've been, I've been married for a long time, but I've been with my wife since I was in high school. And I, wow. I learned a long time ago that when my wife is going through something, she does not always want what I think is best. She does not want to know what I think about it, how I feel about it, what she should do about it. She just wants me to identify with the fact that she is not feeling well, that she's sad about something, that something unfortunate happened, that she's upset about something. And in doing that, what we're doing is we're not trying to fix people. We're not trying to you know, going back to the idea of like, we're not going in to save children. We're not even going in to serve children. We are going into being community with people. And when you're in community with folks, you can just listen with someone. You just sit in the mud with them when they're going through something difficult. And it's like, it's like the difference is putting your arm around someone or, or just sitting with them and saying, I'm really sorry that you feel that way. Or I'm really sorry you're going mm-hmm. through this in a safe space and not saying, Hey, I hear what you're going through, but I think you should do this. Or have you thought about doing this? If someone wants you to, right? I can even say, do you want my feedback or do you want me to just be quiet with you? Mm. And kids will often say, I want you to be quiet with with me. And especially when they're going through something that I have no experience with. When someone's brother is murdered, when someone loses a friend to gun violence, when someone's taken away, when their parent goes to prison, when they're taken away and put into foster care, like... I don't, I've never had to live through that. 
And so I can't pretend that I know what you should do if like, hey, but maybe you could write your mom a letter every day while she's in jail or, hey, like, look at all the time you did get to have with your friend. It's Instead, it goes, no, bro, this sucks. And I'm just going to sit with you in it every single day that you need me to do it forever and ever and ever. And, and that is the huge difference, I think. Yeah. Uh, do you find that you're getting better as the years go on at detecting what to do? Or is that just something that is ingrained in you? Uh, you know, yeah. Are you getting better at this as the years go by? Yeah, because I think what you do is you get better with the uncomfortability of it. So initially it is, you know, I, I just, I, I'm a helper, like by nature, that's, that's who I am. And so I like to help people out. And so when someone's going through something difficult, I want to show up, I want to help them out. I want to do the thing that's going to make them feel better or whatever. And it's holding that off and just being okay with sitting uncomfortably. Cause man, when you're in mm. a room with someone and they come in, you didn't even know you had a connection with them and they open up with you that they have been cutting themselves and that no one knows about this, but, and that, that like, you can't tell anyone, which is of course like a whole nother conversation because you should absolutely tell someone. But you know, when you are trusted with someone's trauma or grief or worry, that is, Mm. it is, it's very, very uncomfortable sometimes. Or, you know, I've had like one time when I was working in Camden, New Jersey, I had this young lady that I don't even know if I wrote about this in the book either, but like, Um, I had a young woman come to me and the first time this really happened to me where someone really shared something deep. She told me about how her mother, her father had attacked them when they were younger um, with fork and was stabbing Mm. the the family with a fork. And like, it was this horrible scene. And since then her little brother didn't talk ever in class. He was like selectively mute. And so when I got her brother in class, it was like, if I had known that, if I hadn't been a trusted person, you know, advisor to her or, or at least a, a trusted ear, um, I wouldn't be able to teach her brother in the way that he needed. Right. Like it's about learning people's love language also and learning like, do, like, cause everyone wants attention. Just not everybody wants you to know about it and they don't <laughs> want you to do it the same way you want to do it. Right. So I'm a very out loud person, but sometimes people just need to be cared for and quiet. And so I think that that's what you start learning is people's love language. And I think you get better at feeling uncomfortable in the moment. Yeah, it's uh it's such it's such hard water to tread. I haven't experienced like anything that deep yet in you know, my experience is limited. But even sort of even some of the um experience that I have had have stayed with me over the years. Uh for instance, my first semester student teaching, I mean, I felt like a kid back then. I was what, 21, 22 or something. I really felt like a kid. And there, it was first grade, and one of the students, he was very tall for his age, actually. Um, he barely spoke. His, uh, you know, I don't know how to put it any better than this, but his skin was just like, I, he just wasn't taken care of, really. Yeah. And he never left my side. He, he would wrap his, for lack of better words, wrap himself around my arm and would be very fidgety, couldn't focus for more than three seconds, and... You, you meet, you know, we met his mom or I met his mom, my, the teacher had already known. And as soon as you meet the mother, you're like, oh, you know, kind of makes sense what, what's yeah. going on here. Despite whatever the facts may be, it's sort of clear why this kid is like this. And um, I, I student taught just this last semester and that, you know, it's been a couple of years. This that kid's now a, 
a fifth grader and he was at the new school I was student teaching at. And um, he he's in a foster family and is doing great. Um, it, it was so it was so awesome to see him. I, I had approached him and said, hey, you know, do you remember me? And at first he didn't. But then, you know, all of a sudden a smile crept on his face and it all came back to him. And, and I have to wonder if maybe he put those years out of his mind or something. I, I would think he would have recognized me immediately. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's I think common is like kids when, when dealing with trauma. There are students that I've dealt with that uh, their brother or sister will tell me one story about the family. And then I'll have their, you know, them in class and they have a completely different memory of that. Um, and it's, you know, it's students that are trying to uh, be safe. They want, they're trying to, they're trying to figure out a way to minimize or, or manage their hurt. And sometimes the, you know, what seems like the best way to do it is to put it out of your mind. Um, mm. but it's like a survival skill for a lot of kids. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those, um, there's a few kids that I just, I'll never forget just little things like that. And I uh, find myself wondering how they're doing, what they're doing. Um, so I, I can, relate at least a little bit so far some i think maybe yeah i can't remember where i heard it but that uh some teacher said you know when when i'm asked how many kids do i have i say i have you know whatever the number like 500 whatever it is because <laughs> you really feel like you know they're a part of your family do, yeah, do you have yeah, that feeling yeah i mean absolutely i mean i'm i'm at this like really really great place in my career where um students are much older now that i taught as as freshman in high school or, or whatever back in the day. And they will, you know, when we're not all quarantined in our houses, they will um, just stop by after work. <laughs> they will go out for like a, a beer because they're totally old. Beer and like, or I'll go out and meet their families or I've been to weddings or baby showers or out for coffee with, with folks. Because it's, you know, when you're building those relationships, I'm never building a relationship for a year. I'm building a relationship for a lifetime. Mm. And that is... Like, and, and anyone that wouldn't do that, it just makes me always wonder, like, <laughs> man, like you spent so much time, like you want to see how this all plays out in the future. <laughs> so I just did like a two hour call with an old student the other day that I haven't spoken to in probably a decade. And she hit me up in a DM, asked my advice on something. I said, let's do a phone call. And then we just started talking for like two hours. And, you know, I want kids to know that because you know, it's still in your early to mid twenties, it can be a very confusing time in your life. And if you don't have someone that's really willing to listen and, and try and give good advice, then, um, I, I think, you know, we think, ah, kids are older or like, I have my own students now or my own life. And it's like, no, this is the good stuff. Cause when mm. I, when they come over and I'm having coffee with a bunch of kids or, you know, the, whatever <laughs> it is, like I come home from work and my wife's making Mexican food in the kitchen with a bunch of students. It's like, it's the best. Like, I don't know why anybody would. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, you know, it's the culmination of a career. It, it You know, it, the way you sound when you talk about it, it sounds like you're sort of in a heaven on earth. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is like um, last week, some old student just dropped off Krispy Kreme donuts to my student, to my kids, like just left them on the front door. I got a text, check your doorstep. Um, which, you know, the squirrels got to them before I could, and they ate one of them. But other than that, I mean, it was like just this really kind gesture of like, you don't know, you just don't know what the 
what your effect is on a child's life when you have them in your classroom. And so, um, and it's just a beautiful thing to be able to keep up that relationship over the years. It's just, it's like one of my favorite parts of the job. Yeah, it, it reminds me, I, I remember, I'm curious if you remember this day in your life, but I remember the day that I decided that I wanted to become a teacher and I had, it was in college and I had written a, a speech. I was in a speech class and I had to write a speech for the last day of school. And I remember in that little speech that I wrote saying something like teachers are like farmers or gardeners, you know, they, they plant a seed and, you know, over the course of a lifetime, you know, something blooms and it's, you know, teachers plant seeds that don't grow necessarily in the year they have them, you know, something to that effect. Yeah. And it sounds like your career, that that's what you are and, and that you're sort of reaping the rewards and the fruit of your labor, you know, even after all these years. Yeah. Well, you know, I think more than planting seeds, I think, you know, I often talk to my students about like, if you see like a, a seed for a maple tree, right? The seed has everything in it that it needs to be mm. the greatest maple tree ever, right? What it needs is the right conditions in which to grow. And so as, as educators, I think what we're doing is we're creating spaces and places and opportunities for our students to be able to reach their, the, the best parts of themselves. They don't really, they already have the greatness in them. They already have all these innate skills and abilities and, and wonder, but are we creating environments that are conducive to students being the best they could possibly be, or are we stifling their creativity and their wonder and their skill sets um, because we're just, you know, doing any number of things that schools often do wrong. But it's like, it's, it's sort of giving kids permission to be awesome is what you're doing mm. and then creating an environment in which that is conducive. Well, that, that sort of reminds me of what's, sort of a shame for so many classrooms and teachers and schools. I've, uh, I subbed, you know, in the time that I quit the program, that big break I had, I was subbing for a couple years. And interestingly enough, those years that I subbed, they really taught me more than the program did. Like just being, you know, having to actually be responsible for the students um, is so much different than just sitting in a classroom, reading a textbook, the professor telling you what it's going to be like. You, you mentioned that in your book, something to that effect of, you know, yeah. no matter how many books about swimming you read and, you know, even if Michael Phelps shows up, you know, that's not the same as being in the pool and learning how to swim. Um, so so I, I know what that feels like, at least on the level of being a sub. Um, but what I was going to say is that being a sub for a few years, going to a lot of schools, a lot of classrooms, a lot of groups of kids, um, you look at the walls on some classrooms, you see how some teachers are when you walk down the hallway. I can't tell you how many times I've walked through a school to get to the classroom and I walked right past the, the principal and they didn't even look at me. You know, don't, don't you think that the principal wants to know who this stranger is on their campus? Like I've been ignored by so many principals, so many teachers, and I just have to wonder what message does that send to me as a guest? What message does it send to the staff and the students? You know, I get more attention from the students than the staff on, on a, a lot of occasions. And it just speaks to how important the culture of a school is. And it makes me wonder and it makes me sad, frankly, to, to be on these campuses where that's the mood. I feel like I'm invisible. 
for sure. So there are, I've worked for people that are literally the worst and people that are in like the best administrators I could ever work for in my life. So this gentleman that I work for in, in West Philadelphia now, uh, his name's Dr. Noah Tennant and Dr. Tennant is, he is like, if you want to do something, he just lets you do it. Like, like he has <laughs> absurd things from me before where we've like been able to hire graffiti artists to take the students out to the back alleys of Philadelphia and like go study graffiti art and try graffiti art and like learn how to like different nozzles on different cans and what they do and wow. how like what word would, en- would encapsulate your life and what what kind of graffiti art like just different people do and, and how that's grown over the years and like he paid money for us to do this. Like I've had other schools where, you know, I talk about in the book, we got to do this thing, uh, not got to do it. We, we, do, we used to do these things called super secret class trips, which is not something I recommend people do, but, but <laughs> alas, I did it anyway. So um, where some folks that I knew through someone else were coming back from just filming a deaf poetry jam on HBO, which was a mm-hmm. huge show, like in the early two thousands with most deaf. And on their way to Washington, D.C. to do a gig, I text one of the guys and said, hey, would you stop by my school and do like a really quick show? Like it could be like a 20 minute gig. You come in, do a little performance and then split. And he was thrilled they were going to do it. And this is like unheard of, right? Like that I would be able to get this kind of talent to come to my school in Camden, New Jersey. And the principal told me no, because they, we didn't have background checks on these folks. And I'm like, but what, like, what do you think they're going to do? Like, just being here with me, like we could pat them down. You could get the metal detector out. Like, I don't know what you got to do, but this just doesn't sound right. So when you have that, it makes a world of difference. Now, I will say also that in those experiences, I just think that those are conditions that teachers can really win in also because the bar is set so incredibly low for engagement and for fun and for wonder and for anything else that's awesome that if you go slightly above what the average is in your school, you're killing it. Like, like every kid loves you. Like everyone loves your class. And every day is the best because you're literally not sitting in a row, filling out a worksheet, being quiet, being told when speak when spoken to and then are never spoken to. And then w- when you just do anything outside of that, all of a sudden your class is the best class of the day. And so I just think that, that those are conditions that, I mean, people can sort of think that it really sucks because it does like ultimately it does. But if we can only change ourselves, then it's like, how can I go in here today and just be on fire and sprinkle magic wherever I go? And it just, it makes it that much easier to do. Yeah. I, I loved a lot of um, the stories you tell in the, in the book. Um, just some of the, uh, the super secret trips that you did, how, how impactful those were on the students um, not to mention you got to do it yourself too. You know, it's not like you just gave that gift to the students. I mean, you got to enjoy it too. Uh, and it makes me wonder on, I, I love that side of the spectrum of the creativity and being experimental with how you're teaching. But it also makes me wonder about the other side of the spectrum. And again, referencing my experience in other classrooms and seeing other teachers work, it seems like so many teachers nowadays and even in my own experience, really are just factory workers who are trying to pump out students who just meet the status quo. You know, their job is to just teach the book, 
send the student off and the student hopefully can work, hopefully can crunch numbers and write a coherent sentence so that they can get a job. Well, how do you view your your job as an educator? Are you simply just trying to pump out students who are going to be successful in the world? How do you view your job and what you do? I think, so one, I think, you know, everyone's fighting a battle that that we know nothing about, right? I don't know who coined that phrase, but it's so true in teachers and in students. And so when I do see folks that are doing that, it just makes me sad, not just that you're like that, but that some hurt has happened to you, some mm-hmm. disappointment, some school district, the policies, the rules, whatever, got you got so caught up in all that that you can't even teach from the space that you wanted to when you started, right? And I just think that that happens in tons of spaces, right? Whether you're an entrepreneur or a store owner or in a band, right? Where like at one time you were really innovative and creative and getting after it. And then you learned what the public wanted. So you started writing songs for the masses and, and not <laughs> from like a place in your heart that was like any anything that was real. And it's, it's hard work to fight that off because man, there are days when I could show up, I could totally mail it in and... I just can't bring myself to do it. But that's like a life skill, I think, also. Mm. So when we're doing that, I, I think, you know, I look, I it really comes down to and this is not this is not good advice all the time. It really comes down to just I don't give I don't care what other people are going to say or do, but but that's rooted in not in me, not in I'm going to be the best teacher. I'm going to do this because I want to have the most fun or I want to have the most like students that graduate or go on to do great things. If it's based in what is best for students, it gives you a level of confidence. I think that is like, is so far beyond what anything I would want for myself that it's like, look, the kids deserve a class like this. The kids deserve to have DJs come into my classroom or African drummers or dancers or entrepreneurs. The kids deserve to make fire outside when we're talking about Lord of the Flies or to um, go out and do like graffiti art uh, with sidewalk chalk all over the front of the school, like and on the ground too. I'm not talking about like on your building, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. but even that would be cool. Like the kids deserve a classroom that doesn't have, rules all over the place and doesn't have like lame ass old like inspirational posters and, <laughs> and things that say like in 12 point font on the other side of the room what a noun is like I'd rather be on my wall that looks that that inspires wonder I, you know there's a reason that everyone watches harry potter and loves hogwarts because it looks awesome right it's, it's not like the you know every high school classroom in america that is plain white walls and looks more like a mental institution from the 1900, early 1900s than it does a classroom. And so when we can create spaces like that, I think that it really lets kids know it's sending a signal that one, this is a safe space. You can be exactly who you are in this classroom. And two, that I care about you, that I care about my job, that I want what is best for you. And so when I think about what I, the kind of teacher that I want to be like, um, it's never it's never about me. It's, it's I think education is only ever about students and it's about you as an educator, as a student this year. So it changes from year to year because, you know, just like my lessons do, like, you know, 
everything in our world changes so quickly. It's like, I can't pretend that, um, I don't know, my Mario Brothers uh, lesson that I made 12 years ago <laughs> is still going to be relevant now when everyone's playing Fortnite or Call of Duty or whatever. I can't pretend that, you know, my KRS-One or my public enemy lesson that I made in like the late 80s, you know, is going to be relevant to kids that are listening to Uzi and Meat Mill. It's like it, you have to adapt and grow with your students and see what is fitting for them now. And then that's, you know, you fit that in there as well. So I think I think I answered your question. That, that was a yes. <laughs> no, no, that, that was perfect. I I like you say something in the book to this effect. Um, and you were sort of talking to that to the point right now. Uh, I think it was such a good point to make in the book where you say, you ask why in, in the context in the book that I'm thinking of, it was about classroom management. You said, uh, you know, ask yourself why, you know, why do I want the kids to be quiet? Why do they have to sit down right away? You know, that kind of thing. And the answer is, and you can actually push it further to the, to why you made a lesson the way you did. So, okay. The lesson is just to stand in front of the class and read out loud. Maybe that's valuable. Maybe it's not. But you ask yourself, why am I doing this? And um, it's interesting that you say everything is always about the student. So I think of boring lesson plans. I think of teachers that make their job very easy. You know, it's the same. And I had plenty of these teachers when I was in high school where we just cracked open the book every single day. And maybe there was a lecture. Maybe we read and and that's literally the only memory that I have of this one year of high school for history. Why, why is it that I don't remember us doing any activities, any projects, any discussions, really? It's just the same thing over and over. So my, my point is, is I think you make a really great point in that asking why you do something or why you expect something um, is just telling. Um, how, how did you learn that? Where did, where did you get that idea that questioning yourself and allowing the students to question you question you is important. You know, I'm not, I'm not certain where that originated from necessarily, but I know that I've always been um, a little left of center. Uh, and so sometimes it's a good thing. <laughs> sometimes I get to be in trouble in my life, but it is, it is, you know, asking why as a kid, I think it just came from reading a lot of books. I mean, I read a lot of like, at really important moments of my life, reading books like the autobiography of Malcolm X or Walden mm. by Henry David Thoreau and reading writers that were, that were kind of telling you to do that, that were asking you to ask why. And then I noticed like when you're in school, the thing every kid wants to know is, yo, why do we have to do this? Why are we, why do we even <laughs> learn algebra? Why do we learn this? But teachers just go, their answers are always similar. It's on the test. You're going to need to know it so that when you're in geometry, that's going to, it's going to be important or in college or whatever. But we don't get to the root of it. Like, what the hell is the use of algebra? And so when I think about things in my life and, and, and in terms of why do we learn about imagery and symbolism and metaphors and similes and, and why do I have to capitalize my letters? Why do I capitalize names? For instance, why do I have to put punctuation at the end of a, of a sentence? Why do you take points off if I don't do it? Because it's important and I'm going to break down why. So every lesson I, and every piece of it, I tell kids why. Like before we read a book and we talk about who the author is, the kids always ask, why do we need to know this? Why do we have to do this? Why does Shakespeare talk like that? 
you know, it's breaking down. And if you can't answer that question, you need to reevaluate why it mm. is that you're doing it. Because there's value in a lot of the things that we do, but we've just been doing those so long, we forget why the hell we got into it to begin with. And then I think that that's just good practice for your whole life. Like, why are you eating what you're eating or exercising or living where you're living or married to the person you're married to? Like, it's because, you know, I've been married for such a long time and I continue to like really work on my relationship with my wife. Mm. And it's, I mean, I have, I have the greatest marriage I could ever possibly hope for, but it's because I remember why I'm working on the things I'm working on because it's important to me. And when we can get that across to kids, why you're doing something, people are far more apt to buy in. It's like, you know, like if I knew why the hell I had to do this census, <laughs> I'd be more, they wouldn't have to have 50 reminders on the radio every day for me to finish out my census thing because I know why I'm doing it. Yeah. So uh, it's clear, clearly the, I know the answer to this question, but so you, you value when your students question what you're making them do. A hundred percent. Like I, like I love it. And I, like, I'll literally stop lessons because someone wants to just innately like dog my lesson or say like, this is dumb <laughs> or like, why we even have to do this? It's like, bro, I love that question. Can we talk about that for a second? And it gets to the point where kids start calculating, like they will start thinking ahead because they don't want to just say something out loud because they know I'm going to have the conversation with them. Like, <laughs> Cause there's no, you know, it's, there are no lazy insults in my classroom and there's no lazy thinking in mm. my classroom. And so I want you to unpack what is you're talking about? Because you're important. Your thoughts are important. So that's why we would even break down those things. Like what you're thinking is important. Let's talk about our language and how we use it and what wow. it means to uplift, uplift someone and put down someone and when it's right, when it's wrong and, you know, timing and all of that stuff is it's like, I want you to push back uh, because I want to have the conversation about it because then we can identify the situation and grow from it instead of just sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, that it, I, I've had a few experiences where you, you said something like, just now. You said, you know, there's no lazy insults uh, in my class. Uh, I don't know. What is it? A couple months ago by now, I had an experience where I had an observation with uh, my with my professor. She was watching me conduct a small group lesson and I was with the low group, uh, for lack of better words, the kids who read the worst. Um, and it's probably no coincidence, but those are also the kids that have behavior problems. Um, so it was a tough lesson, but one of the kids, you know, my professor sitting behind me, you know, just watching, critiquing. And one of the kids says, Oh, you know, you're, you're just using us. And, you know, you, I swear you could, you, you could hear my heart break, you know, when, when he said that this is a fourth grade class. And the, he said, you're just using us. And whether whether or not I did something to make them feel that way is almost irrelevant. What what seems to be more interesting is that the kid feels like that at all. And and some of your uh, some of your your teachings from the book that I sort of gathered is that you you have this curiosity as to why the kid feels a certain way. What the fact that they feel it at all. Um, moves you and, and you want to sit there and find out what's going on. Um, have you had those experiences where a student insulted you or broke your heart for lack of better terms? And, and how did it play out? So all the time, like it still happens constantly um, because I, I don't like to see people hurting. 
And so, you know, even, uh, even not in school, I mean, this is something that just happens in my day where uh, there's a kid in my neighborhood that is always riding around on his bike. And I, I've seen, I, I know a little bit of his situation. It doesn't look like a really healthy home life. And he's always like, he's the kid that you see like throwing rocks at, <laughs> you know, the train going by the house, or he's like the one kid that's like doing a wheelie in the middle of like the main street in town, like mm. trying to make cars get out of his way. He's always just cursing for no reason or bothering people's dogs. And I'm always like have my eye on him to the, to the point where my wife was like, who cares? Like we're like watching a TV show like, oh, it's out there again. He's, he's up to something because I want, I want the interaction. I want, I almost want him to do something to me or to my family so that I can have the conversation with him and say, dude, all that you're doing is coming from a place of not knowing how to deal with your hurt. Mm. And so when we get to those spaces, then how do we deal with our hurt? Sometimes we punch clay and sometimes we punch people. And so sometimes we bang a drum and sometimes we bang on someone's car. And, and so if I can get to have that conversation with that kid, I just know that, look, look, I'm not good at a hundred things in my life, but I'm really good at, um, at being able to communicate with young people about their importance and getting them to feel safe and to trust me and to, and to work things out with me. And so in that, um, you know, I've had any number of students that have like literally told me that they hated, like the one, the young woman that wrote my forward for my book, Romina mm. was a student that told me that she hated me her freshman year of school. She's like, I hated you. You were always asking me questions about myself and like how I felt about things and asking my opinion. It just pissed me off all the time. And now she is one of my favorite people ever. Like she's my kid's favorite babysitter. She comes over our house all the time, whether it's to speak with me or whether she just calls my wife for, you know, boyfriend like advice or whatever. It's just, it's gotten to that space. So I think what it really is, is look, you're not going to win with every kid. And there's tons of kids that I feel like I have not been able to be the teacher that they needed. But, you know, it is never, ever, ever giving up on kids, even when they do break your heart. Mm. So if that young man had said that to me, uh, there's a couple different ways that I you could go about that. But one of the best ones is to just stop and say, it really, it, it's really interesting that you bring that up. I'd love to hear why you think that. And mm. then they'll innately say, no, I don't, no, nothing. I didn't say anything. I, it, like, or, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it's like, no, no, no. You matter. Like mm. the most. You are the reason that I went to college, that I went through all the training, that I took <laughs> all the tests, that I have all the experience. Like yes. you're the reason I read books and watch the movies and grow and meet people online. You're the reason for all of it. It only matters what you think. And then doing that to a kid Dude, it's like a love punch to the face. We're, they don't even know what to do with that all the time. But you're at least setting the standard of like, no, it's only ever about mm. you and not the test and not the classroom and not my reputation and not my performance review or none of that stuff. It's only about you. And when you can get that through to a child, I think that rocks kids to their core and at least mm. opens the door to having those conversations in the future. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think maybe there's even a vulnerability in saying that. So maybe the kid just came, you know, just said that at the top of his head without any real backing, but it suggests pain. You know, the, the kid is, is there's something going on. So it's maybe in that moment, even though it hurts your feelings as a teacher, 
they're being vulnerable with you, even if they're attacking you. It's it's like a wild animal, you know, in a trap and you, you want to let it out, but it tries to bite the hand that's trying to help. And so maybe it's a situation like that. Um, yep. So I, I appreciate that you say that. I have just a couple more questions. I, I know I get the feeling that we really could talk all day and that would be a pleasure. But, you know, I know you have a family and stuff. So I'll just ask I you. I told you I like talking. Actually, I have a staff meeting in a little bit. So. Um, yeah, but we, I mean, if there's ever a time that you would like to do this again, I'm totally down to, to do it, whether it's privately or, or on the podcast. Cool. I'll, I'll ask you just one more question then. Um, and you can answer it any way you like, uh, Mr. CJ Reynolds, thank you for your time. you you wrote the book, teach your class off the real rap guide to teaching. One last question. Who are you? I am. Oh God, I am a beloved child of God is the real answer to that. And so my, what that requires me to do, my, my response to that is I am to do what, what I'm asked to do. And, and what I've been given to do on this earth is, is any number of things. It's to be a father and a husband. It's to be a teacher. It's to care for people and look out, especially for those that have been cast out by society and are living on the margins. It's to show up every day to school and be the greatest teacher that I could possibly be that day. And that's, that varies. Um, but all of that is sort of wrapped into who I am as a human being um, is to be, you know, I feel like what we're called to be also is to be awesome out loud. Um, and, and I think that that sort of wraps that up then, I guess. CJ Reynolds, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, I, I, I really mean it when I say that, um, I appreciate that you would respond and spend this time because I know how busy you are and that I, I see how I see that you're you don't just talk the talk, but you walk the walk and um, you're you're a shining star in the field. So I just want to say thank you. I appreciate it, Alan. Look, man, this stuff is important, right? Like it's it's important what you're doing. It's important to have conversations, especially at length with people and, and to get stuff out there. And just even the work that you're doing, trying to communicate with people and create a space in the world that people can learn and grow from um, is everything, right? So I, I appreciate what you're doing as well. 